0: We're going to look at a Bible character that is highlighted here in Hebrews 11 that is one of the great men of the Old Testament. His name is Moses. And as I studied, as I prepared this message a few days ago, I was thinking that really you could capture everything in this message today by two words you're going to read here in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 11. I'm going to see if you can figure out what those words are as we read the text this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, we'll read down through verse 29, where the Word of God says this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not forbearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as to do, were drowned. As we look at this passage, I would point out to you in verse 24, the word refused, and then in verse 25, the word choosing. In your life, much of what will happen in your life will be determined by what you refuse and by what you choose. That will really decide many important things in your life. And I hope as we look at this concept today and look at the model of Moses, it'll help us to think about our choices, what we will choose to refuse, and what we will choose to do in the years ahead. Oh, there's so many other great things in these verses, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Do we think about that? Do we carry his reproach in our life? The issue of faith, by faith, through faith, by faith, 27, 28, 29 today I want you to think about this concept. What will we refuse and what will we choose? This morning I'd like to draw your attention to the model of Moses. Let's pray. Lord, I've asked for your help for this message today. I know we have a lot of excitement, a lot of things going on and we're preparing for youth conference and it's thrilling to know that we have 26 churches that have never been here before bringing young people to see West Coast Baptist College for the first time. I think of about 260 juniors and seniors who are going to be looking at what you have for them in their lives. I pray, Lord, that we can be good hosts and hostesses and I pray we can encourage people. I pray, Lord, that you will work through the preaching, through the drama, through the singing. Lord, I pray for our students here. Four weeks from now, going out, some into ministry, others to minister across the country and some to go home. I pray you help them to think about this concept of what to refuse and what to choose. Lord, I ask for your help. I acknowledge publicly that I need your help, Lord, in this as in all other things. I pray, Lord, that you will be honored. And I pray that for every Christian here today, for our being here this morning, that we might be a little bit closer to being the Christian you saved us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses was a great man. We know that he wrote the Pentateuch. We know that God chose him to be the one to receive the Ten Commandments, (laughs) twice, in fact. Uh, I think that Moses was great in many ways, but he was able to answer some important questions about his life. These are questions that you need to answer, that I need to answer as well. He answered, Who am I? What am I here for? He said, "Uh, What are my choices? And he had some pretty big choices to stay with Pharaoh, to be the number two person there, or to be part of a nation of slaves. And you're going to have some choices as well. He had to decide what is really important. And young people, this is something that's going to impact your life for the rest of your life. Satan is going to try to get you to think this summer that maybe a person is more important than God's calling. He's going to try to get you to think that maybe the pleasure of this world is more important. Or the provision of this world is more important. You're going to have to make choices about that. One of our graduates coming up next month talked to me this last week. He said, well, working for a solar company, he said, they said if I'll stay with them, I can have a quarter office. They'll start me at $70,000 a year starting next month, actually the month of June. I said, I sure hope you won't do that. He said, I won't do that there's something more important there. I'm thankful for the solar jobs, but I always pray that they're not so good that people will stay with them. There's a choice there. I wanted to supply your needs, but not to take you away from your calling that God's put in your life. And Moses also figured out what his goals were in life. And we're gonna talk about some of these things. Are you shooting for the right things? Are your goals still fixed to what God wants you to do? There was a man whose name was Matt Emmons. He was before your time. Some of us in here might remember him because he was involved in the Olympics way back in 2004, 13 years ago. And for you guys, that's a long time ago. He was a tremendous shot with a rifle. This is a picture of Matt here. and What he was involved in was the 50-meter shot in three positions, lying down, kneeling, and standing. And he was America's best. In fact, people said he was the world's best. They said no one could compare with the shooting of Matt. And that's how things worked out. He began his shooting, and he was just hitting the bullseye time after time after time. It came down to his final shot. He didn't need to get a bullseye. He did not need to get even a nine. He didn't need to get an eight. He just had to have it in the general area. And he would have the gold medal for himself and for the United States of America. It was a piece of cake. I mean, what in the world? People were already congratulating him. Way to go, Matt, you got it. All the work, all the practice. Matt got up, stood, aimed, fired. It was a great shot. Except for one thing. He fired at the wrong target. Instead of shooting in lane number two, he hit the target in lane number three. For which he got zero points. And in that Olympics, he came in eighth place. It doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong target. You're looking at the right target, young person. What's your target for this summer? I hope your number one target is to honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do that, we're going to walk with him. We're going to work for him. We're going to be a witness were you not challenged when Brother Mason talked about his father being saved because someone gave his dad a track at the lumber yard. Preacher boys, how many have tracks on you right now? They're free here. Are we aiming at the right target? As we look at Moses' life in these next few minutes, I want to share some things with you. Number one, Moses understood that you have to be who God wants you to be. Not who I want to be, not who your parents want you to be, but who God wants you to be. What does God want for your life? God made you with a purpose. God has a plan for your life. I've said it a thousand times, but I've said it once. Happiness is finding God's will and doing it. The Lord Jesus Christ said at Mount Calvary, not my will, but thine be done. God's will. Moses understood this. God had a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And I'm going to tell you this, friends, when you're fulfilling God's purpose, it's a wonderful thing. There's joy in that, there's fulfillment in that. We have a couple of folks here in this college who are big University of Alabama fans. Dr. Tom Shepherd and Brother Thomas Shepherd. They are fanatical. For those of you who are younger, you may not know this, but Alabama became famous and incredibly successful during the 25-year time when Bear Bryant was their coach. He was famous for houndstooth caps. By the way, if you look at the Shepherd's van, they have houndstooth painted on the van. What in the world? (laughs) He won six national titles. Mr. Saban looks like he's going to catch him and possibly pass him. But he was unbelievable. And people used to ask Bear Bryant. He'd coach at some other schools, Maryland, Kentucky, before he went to Alabama and spent a quarter of a century there. They said, what are you going to do when you're done coaching? And he said this, I'd croak in a month if I quit coaching. He grew elderly. and the time came, he knew he needed to step down. His final game was on January the 26th, 1983. It was a Liberty Bowl. It was in Memphis, Tennessee. It was very cold was nine turnovers in the first half. Alabama was up seven to six. They were playing against the University of Illinois, and they had a really good quarterback. His name was Tony Eason. He went on to quarterback the New England Patriots for a number of years, made All Pro a couple of times. But Alabama, knowing this was Coach Bear Bryant's final game, came back and won the game. It was a very exciting game. I looked it up on YouTube and watched the three minutes interview. The final plays was quite interesting. Very cold that day. They interviewed Bear Bryant after the game and they said, are you glad it's over? So I think so, but it's over. That was on December 29th, 1982. January the 26th, less than a month later, Bear Bryant died. You see, he no longer had a purpose for living. It was a heart attack but his purpose was gone. Moses had a purpose. He wanted to serve God and help his people. I wonder how many of us say we want to serve God. We want to help our country, our church, our place of ministry this summer. We want to get involved. We want to do what God would have us to do. Or are we just going to go through life? I read recently about a man named John guard who led a company called Common Cause. And in an interview, he said this, he said, I met an old gentleman, a cheerful old guy who would ask people this question, what have you done that you believe in and are proud of? What have you done that you believe in and are proud of? Can I ask you right now, will you look forward forward to the summer and say, you know what, I want to do things that I believe in and I'm proud of this summer? Redeeming the time, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. making a difference. Will you do that? People answered him different ways. One person he wasn't a fierce interrogator, but he was delighted by one that who said, "Well, I did a good job of rearing my three children." Another man said, "Why, well, I'm a good craftsman, and I practice that and do my best with that." One lady said, I started a bookstore. It's the best bookstore for miles around. What do you believe in? And what are you proud of? Uh, Those are all good things. But what we believe in has eternal repercussions. It can last forever. Think of the impact of that one man who gave a track, who led a man to the Lord, whose family is saved, who have impacted the lives of countless thousands. Because somebody did his job. Moses knew who God wanted him to be. And we didn't know who God wants us to be. I was greatly challenged by something I read recently. It's impacted my life. And again, some of you don't know the name, but his name was Dan Rather. One of the most famous newsmen in American history. He was on a major news network every night. He succeeded Walter Cronkite at CBS. And Dan Rather was the anchor It was on news every night. He was incredibly well compensated. He was world famous. I knew that. Didn't care. But I read this little story and this impacted me. Dan Rather wrote something out. And he wrote it out and he put it in a number of different places. Here's what he wrote out. He kept this in his billfold. He kept it in his pocket. He kept it on his desk. He kept it on his dresser. And here's what he said, is what I am doing right now helping the broadcast? Is what I am doing right now helping the broadcast? Maybe we ought to ask ourselves, is what I am doing right now helping the cause of Christ? When we turn to Instagram or Facebook or the novel or just decide to take another nap. He was sold out for CBS News. And in the world's eyes, he was very successful. And he says, I want to keep on my mind all the time are the things I'm doing right now helping my broadcast. I couldn't help but think, Dr. Getch, if we put our desk, are the things I'm doing right now helping West Coast Baptist College. But more important than that, helping the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did your Saturday go before Resurrection Sunday? We had a family in our home, and I owe my wife much of this. They're our next door neighbors. A great illustration of America's a land of opportunities from Nicaragua, the second poorest country in the Western hemisphere. Came to America as a seven year old, couldn't speak English with a single mother. He now lives next door to me. He's an engineer at Edwards Air Force Base. He owns two homes in our subdivision, owns an apartment complex has his bachelor's and master's degree. And we've been to their home many, many times. I had a nickname for them. I called them the Serial Liars because they promised to come and promised to come and promised to come and never came and never came and never came and never came. But finally they came. Finally I was able to lead them to Christ. We, they're starting to come with regularity now. Praise the Lord. Amen. We had them over for lunch on Sunday and he looked at us he said, Thank you for keeping keep me on coming back. My wife would say that. i say, they're not coming. She'd bake something. I'd go over with them as a good little husband. The day before they came and got saved, they said, we'll be there tomorrow. And They've told us that so many times. I literally wasn't outside their driveway. I said, they're lying. Because I'm a man of great faith. But they finally came. And Oscar and Claire are interested in things of God. Finally. And I owe most of it to her. She'd always bake stuff to take to them. That's a family I mentioned maybe a year ago. They said, thank you for not forgetting about us. They're coming now. But many times I did forget about them. I went once or twice and I forgot about what God wanted me to do. Rather, didn't want to forget. He said, I want to always keep... The broadcast in focus. What if we as believers said, I want to keep Jesus Christ in focus. The five or six dozen either could be a Jewish outreach. What if you really tried for eight hours to share Christ? And really said, I'm going to get out as many packets as I can because someday you will give an account because you're being paid to give out packets for eight hours. What about those who are a neighborhood Bible type? I'm going to really seek to get kids there to hear the preaching and see if they'll get saved. Will we do that? Do we remember what we're there for? I love sports. <laughs> I read the story not long ago and about Yogi Berra who was a chatterbox behind the plate. He was a catcher for the New York Yankees. Extremely successful and Early on in his career, Hank Aaron played in one World Series. And Yogi Berra tried to distract him from what he's doing. He got up there, he said, now, Henry, you're holding the bat right. You're supposed to be able to read the label, which is what, at least that's urban legend. Maybe the bats don't crack as easily that way. You know, the, the trademark's supposed to be up when you swing the bat. Henry Aaron didn't answer him. He didn't change the bat. Next pitch came, he swung and hit a home run in the World Series. He came around the bases. he stopped at home plate. He said to Yogi Berra, I didn't come here to read, I came to hit. (laughs) Are you going to be focused on what God wants you to be focused on this summer? The world will try to distract you. You're off. Summer, relax. But the Bible says work for the night is coming. Night cometh when no man can work. I wonder... are we going to do our best? Moses could have had an identity crisis. (laughs) He was born Jewish. He was raised Egyptian. But the Bible says in verse 24, he refused. Look at that verse again with me, if you will. I love this. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be called the son. And we know what happens in verse 25. Choosing. Choosing. Rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'd encourage you to circle those two words in your Bible refusing and choosing. I hope you read your Bible through at least once a year, but circle that refusing and choosing. It's just good to relax and be what God wants you to be. The temptations will come. I hope your identity is in Christ. People will know us by what we're doing. One of the most famous artists of the previous century was a man named Paul Gustav Dory. He was known for his religious sketches. They're pretty amazing. They look like ink drawings. I think I have a picture of one of Dory's sketches. That's a picture of Noah's Ark there. That's Paul Gustav Dory, and he was traveling in Europe and he lost his passport. He says, "I am Paul Gustav Dory." The famous artist. The guy says, I don't know who you are. He goes, people know me. We're the most well-known artists in all of Europe. The officer wouldn't allow Dory to cross the border. And finally, he said, give me a piece of paper and a pencil. I will show you who I am. He took that pencil and that piece of paper, and he began to draw a group of peasants. In just minutes, The man said, you're Gustav Paul Dory. His work proved it. We name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we go out this summer, will our work prove it? I was challenging the tour group members yesterday. I said, when you get to a gas station, can't you hand out five tracks? I mean, can't we do that? Do we have to stand there and watch the money run down through the gas tank? Would it not be redeeming the time to try to hand out 20 tracks at a gas station? To be a difference maker? Dory convinced that official. I hope that we will convince some people when we go home this summer whose we are and who we want to serve. Now, our identity is not what we do but whose we are, but we will show whose we are by what we do. Our works will show that. Many years ago, here in the United States, a naturalist was walking through the forest. He found a young eagle that had fallen out of his nest. Couldn't fly and he took it home and he put it in his barnyard with the chickens. He would eat the chicken food, begin to behave like chickens. And one day a scientist came by and said, what's that eagle doing there with your chickens? He doesn't belong there with the chickens. the man said, well, he's lived with the chickens and he acts like the chickens. He's never learned how to fly. Chickens don't fly out of their coops. The man said, well, that's not right. And he put him up on top of the chicken coop. and said, fly, try to push it. He hopped off, got down, started eating chicken food again. He got up on top of the house with that eagle and held him up, said, fly. The eagle scampered down off the house and got down with the chickens again. The man said, this just isn't right. Eventually, he took that eagle up on top of a mountain. He held him up towards the sky. He kept trying to push him up. And finally, with a trembling, a stretching of winds, that eagle lifted up and began to fly. By the way, once he started to fly, he didn't go back to the chickens. Some of you here this year have started to fly. You started to be a witness. You started your daily walk with God. When you go home, don't go back with the chickens. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up With wings as eagles. Wouldn't it be great if people who knew you said, Man, they're just different. They're they're up here now, they're soaring. There's something different. God did something in their life. I must hasten. We also see that Moses was responsible for his life choices. He was responsible for his life choices. Uh, Don't worry about someone else's choices. I often use the illustration. I'm accountable for what I'm supposed to do today. I don't worry about what Dr. Getch is doing. I'm pretty sure he's going to get his work done. Can I have an amen? I don't worry about that. By the way, the Bible says each man must give an account for himself for the things that are done in the flesh. Moses knew that he was going to be accountable to God for what God wanted him to do. We're going to make choices. People who accept responsibility tend to lead effective lives. Accept the responsibility. God has something for you to do. God has a plan for your life. God chose Moses as a baby. We know that. But Moses chose God as a man. Moses chose God as a man. Be responsible. Choose you this day whom you will serve, said Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're hoping and praying that you will serve the Lord this summer. I have no doubt that Brother Stetson will serve the Lord. Dr. Shatler will serve the Lord. Dr. Getch will serve the Lord. Pastor will serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. Will you serve the Lord? Moses said, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to have my life count for something. Your happiness will be determined by your character in life. Your character is determined by your choices in life. Decide right now, I'm going to make the right choices. Some will try to dissuade you for the right choices. Maybe they're going to try to get you to go to some movie with them or hook up with some old friends or listen to some old music. When Moses left Pharaoh's house, he left Pharaoh's house. That's why Jacob, when he found the idols of Laban that his wives had squired away and hidden from him, he buried them. He said, we're not going back to those. We're responsible for our life choices. We also see that Moses was willing to live by God's values, not man's values. Egypt was a very wicked, wicked country. We know this with Potiphar's wife with Joseph. We know about the gods they worshipped. Incredibly carnally minded. Things of the world, fleshly, carnal means as we're carnivorous. Chili con carne is chili with meat. They were carnally minded. But God wants us to be spiritually minded. And he decided to live by God's values, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Here are the riches, here's reproach. I'm taking the reproach of Christ. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and dust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. What does it mean to esteem? Esteem means to measure it out, to weigh it out. I was with my brother for a few minutes last night as I drove down to Simi Valley to visit my dad who's aging and not well, and we were talking about that whole issue. And I'm going to tell you, folks, we ought to be far more concerned about our eternal IRA than our earthly IRA. What's going to last beyond this world? What's going to matter? People in the world are really frantically seeking after three things. You can see it everywhere. They're looking for pleasure. They want to feel good. They're looking for possessions. I want to have a lot. Then after that, I want to get more. And they're looking for power. I want to have fame, prestige, power. I want to be in charge of things. But the Lord tells us to die to self, to crucify the flesh daily. There's a maturity to that. It won't always be comfortable. I did some writing for ministry years ago, and they did some books called Character Sketches, and I enjoyed studying the eagle. And you know when A mother eagle is getting ready to lay her eggs in a nest. She starts off with sticks, even stones in that nest to make it very strong. If you ever seen a picture of an eagle's nest, it's huge, often way up in the cleft of a tree or up on 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 a cliff somewhere. But it would be very comfortable, very, very uncomfortable to get in that nest. So then she begins to take feathers or fur from animals she's killed and puts that inside of the nest. So when those baby eagles hatch out of their eggs, it's very comfortable in there. But eventually, it's time for those baby baby eaglets to leave the nest. And the mother will reach down to that nest and she'll take the fur, uh, the soft things that are there, the old feathers, and she'll begin to throw them out of the nest. Maybe the wool that's in there. Now all of a sudden, it starts getting a little more prickly. You know what that, what that causes? That causes those baby eagles to want to get out of there. It's not comfortable anymore. They want to get away from things that poke them and prick them. They get up on top of the nest. And a lot of times the mother eagle will literally knock them off the top of the nest. They start falling down. She'll swoop down under them. And she'll lift them up. Lifted up on wings of eagles. She'll get up high. Then she'll jump out before them and force them to start using their wings. You're in a comfort zone here at West Coast Baptist College. You hear the Bible taught. You hear preaching in chapel. You see great church services going on. You may be going out to a place where it's a little bit more uncomfortable, where you might get prodded and pricked by some things. And I believe that's because God wants us to soar. He wants us to fly, do what we were created to do. There's certain relationships that In our life, make our life complete. The number one relationship is our relationship with the Lord. He wants us to walk with Him and talk with Him. Beyond that, if you're fortunate, God will give you a spouse who'll be your helpmate, who'll be your completer in life. That's a wonderful thing. But thirdly, it's doing what God wants you to do. We're a Christian, first of all. We get involved in a marital relationship. That's a wonderful thing. The home is the first institution God created. But then God has a calling for your life and He has a calling for my life. That's a great thing to know. The world, oftentimes, does not have this. I wrote down a few quotes. H.G. Wells, a famous historian and philosopher, said at age 61, I have no peace. All life is at the end of a tether. Byron, the famous poet, poet laureate, said this, My days are in yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of life are gone. The worm and the canker the grief are mine alone. Wow, the worm and the canker and grief are mine. Thoreau, transcendentalist, American writer who wrote Walden among other things said this, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Ralph Barton was someone who lived in our generation. He was a very famous cartoonist. He would draw sketches of movie stars, actors, people in high society. He left this note pinned to his pillow. I have had a few difficulties. That's Mr. Barton. That's one of his cartoons for Puck Magazine. He said this. I have had few difficulties. I've had many friends. I've had great successes. I have gone from wife to wife and house to house. I have visited great countries of the world. But I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours in a day. He took his own life. He had what this world offered, but it was empty. There was nothing there. The Bible says this, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What will we serve this summer? It's easy to say yes to God, but I find in my life sometimes it's hard to say no to everything else. Satan will offer things that we have to learn to say no. Choose you this day whom you will serve. James chapter 1, verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Will we be single-minded? Lord, I'm called to serve you. I know what you want me to do. I have a calling in my life. Let's be faithful to that calling. You see, God's purpose is more important than popularity. (laughs) He was next in line for the throne. He was treated royally, he had wealth and prestige. God's people are more important than pleasure. Are you going to really help your church or your place of ministry? Oh, there's pleasure in the world. There's pleasure in sin. But as it says in this chapter, but for a season. And God's peace is more valuable than possessions. You can't purchase happiness. Maybe that's why the Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, And He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. The world wants you to love things and use people. God wants us to love people and use things. The choice is ours this summer. And finally, about Moses, I want to point out he was a person who had vision. He was a person who had vision. Do you have vision for this summer? What do you want to get accomplished? I'm working on different messages I need to preach this summer. I'm excited. I've got my leadership conference outlined in. Amen. I'm excited. I'm preaching at a Bible conference in Illinois in June. I've got those messages done and sent in. Now I'm speaking at an educators convention in Virginia. and one in Oregon in August. I'm working on those. My goal is to get those done by next week. Vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Satan will try to get you to procrastinate. Worry about that later. Worry about that when you're a full-time Christian work. I don't know if you thought about this, Dr. Gatch, there was earthquakes in like six different places in America last night. I immediately thought, earthquakes in diverse places. Wow. I mean, like in Kansas or Oklahoma, up in the Bay Area, Southern California, and the coast. five on the Richter scale. Ladies and gentlemen, we may not have three years from now. This summer may be the last chance we have to serve God. So I challenge you have a vision for it. What's your vision for the summer? What are you gonna learn from the Word of God? What verses will you memorize? How many tracks are you gonna try to hand out? I know I'm gonna challenge our group. I've got a goal for tracks already. They're gonna have that goal too. They don't know it yet, but they're gonna have that goal. Because he who aims at nothing hits it every time. Do you have vision? Where there's no vision, the people perish. Moses had a vision for a free people. It wasn't easy. It didn't come right away. I did the math on 40 years, 14,600 days before they got to the promised land. But they got there. They got there. There was a little boy, and as often happens with young people, their parents told this young boy, time to go up and go to bed. His name was Jimmy. Dinner was over. The night had encroached upon their evening, and they said, Jimmy, go to bed, and Jimmy went upstairs, and Mom and dad were absorbed in their time, and it took some time for them to go upstairs. And when they got upstairs, Jimmy was not in bed. Not good. He was st- sitting by the window, actually on his knees, looking out the window. And usually went right upstairs, usually obeyed right away. And his mom said, What are you doing, Jimmy? He said, I'm looking at the moon, Mommy. She said, well, It was time to go to bed now, Jimmy. He said, Mommy, someday I'm going to walk on the moon. Jimmy was involved in a horrible auto accident. Almost every bone in his body was broken. But 32 years later, from that night, James Irwin stepped out of the Apollo capsule and walked on the moon. One of only 12 people to ever walk on the moon. He had a vision. I hope... You'll ask the Lord to help you to have a vision for the summer. Be yourself. God only made one John Getch. He only made one Paul Chappell, one Jim Shetler, and he only made one of you, and he's got a plan for you in your life. Be yourself. Be accountable. Accept the responsibility. It would have been far easier for Moses to say, I'll stay in Pharaoh's home. It's comfortable here. I think Bible college could be hard. Paying your way through school. Work. Moses had 40 years in the wilderness. Be willing to live by your values, scripture values, God's values, not the world's values. And finally, as you go out this summer, I challenge you, have a vision. God has a plan for your life. And it's an awesome thing to be a part of God's plan. Let's pray today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenges that are in your word. Lord, I pray you'll speak to hearts right now. I pray there'll be some young people who say, you know what, I want to be like Moses in these areas. I don't want to just be happy with the status quo. I don't want to just be content to do the same old, same old stuff. Lord, I pray that we'll have some students who will truly make a difference this summer. In just a moment, the piano is is going to begin to play. And if God spoke to your heart, why don't you come talk to the Lord about it? He wants to work in you and through you. You can pray at your seat, but I think sometimes coming to the altar helps us and helps me. Will you live by God's values? Will you be the person God wants you to be? Will you turn your back on the pleasure, the pride, the possessions of this world? and seek to do what God would have you to do. I firmly believe that the folks in this room could impact our country this summer if we'd follow the steps of Moses.